Canada Mortgage and Housing Corporation is driven by one goal, housing affordability for all. They're about solving housing affordability together. CMHC offers supply-oriented programs, funding programs, market intelligence, research, data, and a team dedicated to push the boundaries of housing innovation. Visit cmhc.ca to learn more about how you can play a role in their ambitious goal that by 2030, everyone in Canada has a home that they can afford and meets their needs. CMHC helps make housing affordable in many ways. Learn more about Canada's national housing strategy, funding, research, and so much more at cmhc.ca. We at On The Way Home would like to acknowledge the original stewards of whose lands this podcast is recorded on. In York Region, we recognize we're on the traditional territories of the Wendat, the Haudenosaunee, and the Anishinaabe peoples, and that this is the treaty lands of the Mississaugas of the Credit. And in Vancouver, we acknowledge that we are on the unceded territories of the Coast Salish peoples, the Musqueam, Squahomish, and Tsleil-Waututh, whose presence on these lands continue to this day. Welcome to On The Way Home, a podcast dedicated to the issues surrounding homelessness and the incredible experts making a difference in the lives of homeless people. Remember to subscribe to the podcast anywhere you're listening and share it with a friend. Hello and welcome to On The Way Home. Uh, This is a show that talks about all things housing and homelessness. And we are so fortunate from week to week to have amazing guests come on and share their insight and experience. And this week will be no different. It's brought to you by the partners Blue Door, which is my organization in York Region, and the Canadian Alliance to End Homelessness, which is a national organization. Uh, Right now at Blue Door, we want to say a huge thanks to everyone uh, for coldest night of the year. We had that recently. We were able to raise $160,000, and we can't do that without the support of the community. So we are truly grateful for everyone who stepped up. And for those of you who stepped up across the country as supporting so many, I believe uh, it was $11 million raised through coldest night of the year across Canada. So thank you very much. Uh, right now, with the Canadian Alliance and Homelessness, they are working hard on their vote housing campaign. So check out their website. Go to uh, caeh.ca and see how you could get involved and push others to get involved too. Uh, it's only together that we can make uh, housing count in the next vote uh, moving forward. Well, let's get on to today's guests. We have three guests today, the power of three. Uh, two you may be very familiar with as they've been on the show before. And our third I'm very excited about today. We have Clovis, Dr. Alex, and Jesse with us. Um, so really, really excited to have them on. Clovis Grant, as you may know, is the CEO for 360 Kids which provides a range of supports and services for youth ages 16 to 26 in York region who are homeless or at risk of experiencing homelessness. Clovis believes that addressing intersectionalities is an important part of our commitment to delivering effective services to our community. Well said, Clovis. We also have Dr. Alex, who is a scientist at the Institute for Mental Health Policy Research at the Center for Addiction and Mental Health and an assistant professor at the Dalalana School of Public Health Department of Psychiatry at the University of Toronto. Um, now I'll say this, but it's not in his bio, but the, the best and brightest research that has been done around 2S LGBTQ plus youth 
across this country, maybe around the world, has been done by Dr. Alex. That's my own plug for him. That's not in his bio, but I just wanted to add that uh, Dr. Alex has been addressing the issue of 2S LGBTQ plus youth homelessness for nearly 15 years and is award-winning internationally recognized leader in the area of 2S LGBTQ plus health and homelessness. Uh, over the years, he's advocated continuously for policy and practice changes to improve the lives of 2S LGBTQ plus youth. He has worked closely with all levels of government to develop policies and strategies that address the needs of 2S LGBTQ plus youth individuals and is committed to research that successfully and ethically engages the community and situates 2S LGBTQ plus youth, uh, young people experiencing homelessness as knowledge makers. And last, but certainly not least, we have awesome Jesse with us, who is a professional musician, a peer mentor to many youth in the community, and a peer outreach worker with lived experience, a lived expert in areas such as addiction and homelessness of 360 kids. They were awarded youth recognition in the framework of Public Heroes Program. Uh, most importantly, Jesse is a young individual dedicated to making a change in their community. Uh, so Clovis, Alex, Jesse, welcome to the show. Thanks so much. We have a standard question here at On The Way Home that we ask everyone because it's a little different to everyone. And we'll go in the order. We'll go Jesse, Clovis, Alex, starting with Jesse. Jesse, what does home mean to you? Uh, and that's a very good question, you know, because that's something that I ask myself a lot um, in terms of my lived experience on the streets, right? And it's always, uh, how do you know your home um, <clears throat> when you don't actually have a home, you know? And I always used to tell myself, uh, home is where the heart is. Is if you can bring home with you, then you'll always be home everywhere you are. Beautifully said. Oh, was I next? Sorry. Go for it, Clovis. Uh all right. Uh, you know, I'll answer it by, by saying um, last week we did a, an overnight uh, experience, um, not unlike the uh, the um, the uh, what you just talked about. Mike. Coldest night of the year. Coldest night of the year. Sorry, my brain just froze. Um, and I came home and I, I was it, it was just a wonderful experience to feel the warmth when I opened my door. And so I, it, it, I couldn't help but think about what it's like to have a home and the protection, the warmth, uh, that no vulnerability. That's when I think about home that, that, that comes to mind. Yeah. Protection. That's, that's great. Fantastic. Alex. Yeah. I would say, you know, similar to Jesse, uh, this is something I have thought about a lot over the years. Um, uh, especially given you know the work that I do, working with young people, um, and uh, the first thing that comes to mind is uh, I think pretty obvious that home is definitely um, much more than a physical space. You know, you can live in a house, but it might not be a home, um, and I think that's really really important um, to me. And um, you know, yeah, I would say on a personal level, to me, home is something that signifies safety and belonging. Um, home is a place where, you know, where you can be exactly who you are and you don't have to fear for your safety. Well, it's had three great answers. Um, Alex, we know that COVID-19 has been hard on all of us. Everyone it, it talks about how hard it's been, but even more so for 2S LGBTQ plus youth uh, who are experiencing homelessness. You've recently conducted research that speaks to this. Uh, can you provide a background as to how this research came about? 
Yeah, absolutely. So, you know, before the pandemic started, we already knew that 2S LGBTQ youth were, you know, experiencing homelessness, faced uh, numerous challenges with regards to accessing safe and affirming housing, um, and as well as higher rates of mental health uh, issues compared to heterosexual and cisgender youth. So this is something we already knew before COVID. And then COVID hit. So, you know, once the pandemic started, it was a very sort of obvious uh, next next step for, for my team and I. Um, and it would be, you know, at that point, it was like, you know, very important for us to understand how is the pandemic impacting queer and trans youth who are experiencing homelessness, especially given that so many support services had to shut their doors, you know, weren't able to provide the same services as they once did when the pandemic started. So, you know, couldn't help but wonder like, okay, so what's going to happen now? Where are these young people going to go? Are they going to be forced back into the the houses that they once lived in where they were forced to leave? Um, and that is sort of how the study came to be. And I'll just give you a little bit of sort of, you know, background information about the actual study. And so this is an ongoing study that I've been leading um, that focuses on understanding the impacts of the pandemic on 2S LGBTQ youth who are at risk of homelessness, but also who are experiencing homelessness in the greater Toronto area and in surrounding areas as well. And so for this study, we recruited about uh, 92 young people in the GTA and surrounding areas, and they um, they completed virtual surveys, uh, three surveys, so it was about every three months. And then there were approximately 33 youth uh, from those 92 that participated in in-depth one-on-one interviews where we were able to really sort of, you know, get at, you know, there was like the survey and just understanding the numbers and these standardized measures. But then the interviews, you know, that that's about understanding people's actual lived realities and, and what's behind those numbers. And that's really what we did with those interviews. And then we also interviewed about uh, 15 key informants, so individuals who work at the support services, who manage um, these different programs. And just sort of high level, we found that, uh, no surprise, the pandemic really impacted uh, 2SLGBTQ youth in a number of significant ways. And so there were you know, many different ways that the, that the pandemic impacted these young people. But among you know, the, the most significant, we found that uh, housing was a really big one. So the, the, uh, you know, the pandemic impacted access to housing, access to safe housing in many cases. And so, for example, we asked uh, youth, you know, where were you living prior to the pandemic? And then where are you living now? And we asked that question every three months. And we found that 12% of youth uh, were living in a public space prior to uh, the pandemic. And then once the pandemic hit, 32% were living in a public space. So I think that really goes to show that there was a really big jump in terms of you know, young people living in public spaces, in their car, you know, in a car, in a, in a park, um, outside public space. Um, and we also found that there was an increase in youth living in supportive program, programs as well, and transitional housing programs. Um, we also found that there were higher rates of violence that youth were experiencing and identity-based violence and identity-based uh, abuse in many cases. So there were youth who were, um, as I mentioned before, you know, were, uh, had nowhere to go. And so they were forced back into abusive uh, households in, in some, some cases. Maybe they were couch surfing before the pandemic and then pandemic hit. And, the, you know, the, the main message was stay, stay home, stay home, you know, don't leave your house. And so they were forced back into these abusive homes. And so a lot of youth really described feeling very trapped in, in these types of situations where there was no support available to them. 
Um, yeah, and I would say, you know, consistent with our uh, previous research, you know, previous research that I've conducted in this area, we found that mental health was really sort of a major finding. And, and mental health, actually, it's no surprise, you know, mental health is always, I would say, a, a major finding in a lot of these uh, studies that I lead. And, you know, with like higher rates of depression, anxiety, um, self-harm, suicide attempts, uh, unfortunately. And so, um, you know, no surprise there once the pandemic hit and there wasn't, wasn't any support available to many of these youth in many cases, um, then, of course, you know, people are going to suffer in terms of their mental health. Um, and then lastly, I'm just going to touch on a, another major finding that we, uh, an area that we explored was COVID vaccine attitudes and COVID vaccine uptake. And so we asked, you know, a number of questions about whether you would get the vaccine. Have you gotten the vaccine? Just people's thoughts around that. And um, I would say that most participants uh, either had received a, a COVID vaccine or they were planning to receive a vaccine. But uh, more than one third of youth were expressed that they were unsure or they were actually not planning to receive uh, a vaccine. And we found that the lack of confidence um, around vaccine uptake was even higher among indigenous and racialized uh, participants. Uh, those who identified as, um, as indigenous, Asian, black, or Latinx, they were f uh, almost five times as likely to be hesitant about uh, getting a COVID vaccine. And the reason for this is um, also really no surprise in terms of mistrust in the healthcare system and mistrust because of previous traumatic experiences that people have had engaging with healthcare providers. And unfortunately, that often happens um, to you know racialized youth, not just youth, but individuals. In this case, obviously, we're talking to young people. Um, you know, a lot of the youth also expressed that there were barriers in, in terms of accessing a, a vaccine. Um, and then, of course, ongoing, you know, mental health issues were also a common sort of reason why youth decided to not get vaccinated. Construct, a social enterprise by Blue Door, provides high-quality residential and commercial construction and property services in the greater Toronto area. More than a business with a heart, Construct is a real solution to preventing and ending homelessness. Through its eight-week paid skills trades training program, Complete with wraparound supports and on-the-job work experience, Construct lifts people out of poverty and into opportunity. To hire Construct for your next project or learn more about Construct's employment program, visit constructgta.ca. Wow. This is uh, amazing stuff. Very, very impactful. Uh, and you talk, I knew you were going to mention trust there and experience in the system. It's, it's uh, sad to see, but it, it is a true reality. Uh, Clovis, um, you are the largest provider of services for youth experiencing homelessness in New York region. Uh, what were you and your team seeing uh, during the pandemic in regards to its effects on 2SLGBTQ plus youth? Uh, thanks for the question and, and, and thanks, Alex, for, for uh, sharing your thoughts because uh, certainly as a provider uh, supporting uh, many young people every every year, uh, we saw a lot of that. Um, uh, I would say a few descriptors, isolation, anxiety, confusion, fear, uh, all of that were, were just common refrains uh, throughout the, the, the pandemic for, for many young people. Uh, you know, the, the, the impact of just the unknowns of, of the, the, the virus was just very concerning. Uh, to, to many young people. And when, when you add in 
uh, the, the the challenges that um, uh, groups who are considered um, on the margins, uh, such as uh, 2S LGBTQ plus youth, racialized youth, you you, you that anxiety, th that uncertainty, it, it just goes out the window. So the the need for mental health supports was uh, was certainly very strong, um, and. And and I think one of the, the, the things that we, we saw was the, the impact of, of closing programs. Uh, w one thing we know about young people is the need for relationships. Um, and when you when you limit those relationships, um, it creates a bad recipe. And 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 so that's one of the things that we saw. And, and there are some things that we did to mitigate that through some online um, um, programming, which was uh, uh, had. had I saw two impacts. Uh, on the one hand, uh, some young people wanted the in-person and um, having um, uh, support workers like Jesse to, to, to help with that was helpful. Um, but we also saw that there were some youth who wanted the, the virtual. And in fact, uh, some, um, uh, some groups in particular, uh, cultural groups, uh, Asian, uh, Asians in particular, we saw an uptake in, in terms of um, young people who were um, 2SLGBTQ from the, uh, the, the Asian population actually felt more comfortable in an online space, uh, which was great that we were able to provide that. Uh, so I, I would say uh, those were some of the things that, that we saw. Um, building and creating community was such a, an important piece. And so whether it be uh, the in-person or, or virtual and, and ways that we had to, to respond uh, to our young people, to, to these needs, is, is through partnerships. We, we have uh, quite a number of different partners um, that um, helped uh, create some of that space. Uh, York Region Police was, uh, was an important partner, Family Services York Region, um, Care Connections. All of these in, uh, groups um, were of particular importance in, in helping us build that, the community for, for these young people, providing uh, very specific counseling um, supports, groups, uh, whether it be online and mostly online, but um, some in person, and and some of that cultural connections um, was 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 critical. Uh, one of the things that I also saw was was uh, very helpful um, as we we try to build that community uh, with with the young people um, was uh, youth voice, and we have a youth strategy where we're working upstream to look at how we can work together to address some of the um, uh, the, the, the barriers that um, uh, drive young people to homelessness, uh, the discrimination that um, many encounter. How can we as a system um, uh, intervene or disrupt some of those uh, drivers, especially for the 2SLGBTQ plus population? And, and having the voice of young people around the table and actually telling us what to do and how to do it more effectively, uh, I saw was really critical. And one of the, the, the last things I wanted to say here is creating that space, not just through the strategy, but through a, a paid position, um, such as our peer um, youth outreach workers, also helped young people find their voice and, and um, helping us to create new opportunities for them. And, and someone like Jesse and, and other young people who came forward and, and actually did outreach to, to the community um, really helped us make um, programming so much more relevant to their needs. And so those were some of the, the, the observations that, that uh, we had and, and some of the ways that we tried to intervene uh, to, to uh, disrupt 
um, and, and, and create solutions. And thank you for that insight, Clovis. Uh, amazing stuff. And you mentioned the superstar known as Jesse. Jesse, I have a two-part question for you. Um, number one, were you what were you surprised about uh, in the report? Did anything surprise you in particular? And the second part of that question is, what do you think has to change in the system so that youth experiencing homelessness and 2SLGBTQ plus uh, youth in particular are not at risk? So I guess one of the things that um, <clears throat> surprised me about the findings was that the rate of self-harm was actually higher than the rate of problematic substance and or alcohol use, uh, which came off as quite a surprise for me because, you know, coming from my personal experience, one thing that we saw very commonly amongst youth experiencing homelessness or who are at risk of homelessness was substance use. It was very, very prominent. And so just to find out that... Um, and I believe the rate was about 81%. Uh, 81% of youth um, who were at risk or experiencing homelessness reported having self-harmed uh, during the pandemic. And it, it, it was uh, quite a sad surprise, you know, because um, again, you know, speaking from personal experience, it takes, it, it takes quite a lot of distress to engage in those kind of behaviors. <clears throat> Very often, when we speak about self-harm, it's often a ways to cope with too many feelings, too many things that are there all at once. And so you need to find an outlet to sort of let those feelings out. And so just the fact that there were so many distressing emotions happening because of the pandemic was quite shocking, right? And um, I think going forward, when it comes to offering services specifically to LGBTQ youth uh, in our community, one of the things is these services need to be non-judgmental and specifically geared towards LGBTQ youth. Because unfortunately, we don't see many of that. You know, we don't see um, many services, specifically housing services, for LGBTQ youth that offer them a space where they can truly be themselves, but not only that, but actually explore their identity. You know, it's it's one thing to say that you identify as being part of the LGBTQ community, but one thing about queerness is that you are constantly exploring it. It's constantly developing. And youth deserve a space to be able to explore that and explore that safely, right, with, with a certain guidance. And the second thing that I would say is, very, very important when it comes to youth experiencing homelessness and more so LGBTQ youth experiencing homelessness is to be able to give them the opportunity to tell us what they need. You know, one thing that I often saw in my personal experience and in my professional experience is, is youth being told what they need is the assumption of, of you know, service providers knowing or knowing or assuming what they need and the reality is is you know they always say you can bring a horse to water but you can't make it drink and so i feel that services would be much more efficient if we were able to actually collaborate with youth and allow them to tell us specifically what they need and actually accept that rather than sort of force our professional outlook on them 
Well said, Jesse. Nothing for us without us, I believe, is is the phrase. And, and uh, yeah, you're absolutely right. Um, and listen, that speaks to another report that Dr. Alex did with, um, I think, Clovis and myself and others uh, before that showed exactly what you're talking about. We need more safe places and individual uh, specific places for 2SLGBTQ plus youth. Uh, and out of that came uh, a program in York Region uh, called Inclusion that will continue to actually uh, expand over the next next few years. But we need to, to move forward. I have a double question for you, Dr. Alex. Uh, can you talk to some of the recommendations coming out of this report? And if people want to see it, where do they go? Great. Okay. Um, yeah, so, you know, there were uh, a number of different recommendations that we did make, um, and we did share those in the form of policy briefs and some uh, peer review publications, uh, presentations, which are ongoing as well. And so I would say among some of the major recommendations that we have uh, made uh, would be, you know, number one is really sort of the urgent need to prioritize and promote uh, 2S LGBTQ inclusive and affirming services. Um, and this is really an ongoing recommendation that uh, tends to come out of, uh, out of all of this work because we're just still not there yet. We still need more, you know, inclusive, truly inclusive and safe spaces, affirming spaces. And we can, uh, you know, achieve that by uh, a number of different ways by training and educating all staff on the lived realities um, and needs of 2SLGBTQ uh, youth, um, as well as increasing 2SLGBTQ um, representation among staff, right? So, you know, young people, they want to see themselves reflected in the services that they access. I mean, we all do. We want to be able to relate, you know, especially if we're trying to get support. I think that's just so terribly important. Um, and I think, you know, I would also say that youth serving organizations really, truly need to ensure that the services that they offer are safe and inclusive to all youth and not just some youth. We cannot keep creating and recreating these programs that are just designed for one type of person um, because that's we're, we're never going to end homelessness when, if we keep doing that. Um, and then I would say sort of the, the second sort of recommendation is to really uh, prioritize the delivery of mental health supports and mental health uh, programs. Um, especially population-based mental health supports because, you know, as we found, uh, you know, with this study was that there just wasn't enough met specialized mental health support that was able to truly, you know, meet the needs of 2SLGBTQ youth, especially um, transgender and non-binary youth. And then um, I would say that the, I mean, there were a number of different recommendations, but I'm, I'm going to just, you know, highlight three. And so the last one that I, I really want to highlight is the importance of engaging and, uh, and hiring peer support workers, um, and as well as engaging young people, uh, 2S LGBTQ youth, in the development of these types of services and in the development of solutions. So we have to co-create solutions working with you know peer workers and with 2s lgbtq youth just uh, exactly as jesse uh said and so um in terms of your yeah your second uh question was where can uh folks uh access the report and so we've actually developed a number there's not just one report there's a number of different sort of um publications and we're continuing to publish uh because we have collected so much data and there's so much to share and so many recommendations and so um so these can be accessed, I would say, through um, EENet, EENet Connect, Connect. It's an evidence exchange um, network for mental health and addictions run through ChemH, and that's EENet 
connect.ca. Uh, that site does uh, share actually all of these different um, publications and as well as our policy briefs. And then um, another way would be uh, actually on Twitter. I, I share a lot. I've actually pinned a lot of these different um, publications. And so uh, you can just follow me on Twitter at IAlexAbramovich. Thank you. Amazing, amazing. Uh, and I check this workout. It's powerful. It's impactful. It's helpful. Uh, we shouldn't move forward without taking a hard look at this and moving forward with the recommendations. Uh, so thank you, uh, Dr. Alice Clovis. Where can people go to find out more about the incredible and life-changing work you and Jesse are doing at 360Kids? Uh, at 360kids.ca, you'll find everything that we're doing and uh, appreciate uh, the opportunity to share that. Well, thank you all uh, for, for making this important work happen happen thank you all for sharing it uh you know if we really want to do justice to this work let's make sure we make those changes moving forward um you know if you can imagine uh and i know all of you you can because uh, we've talked about this but the one place where you want to feel safe it isn't and during a pandemic you are forced back into that spot how terrifying that must be right or it, it, and it still continues um this is great impactful work thank you all for what you do and you continue to do and thanks for coming on the show today thanks so much for having us thank you well there you have it man this this uh is, is so important and this work is so important yes COVID has affected everyone but it has affected our most vulnerable even more so it has affected our 2s lgbtq plus youth even more so this report shows that but you know we don't do these reports uh, alex clovis jesse don't take part in this so we can take a report put it on the shelf and say good work we do this work so change can happen and it's up to us to share this work to take heed to read this work and to make those changes happen to involve youth in decisions as jesse said right uh, you know it's old people like me who think they know the answer shouldn't be making those calls we should be talking to the people uh, that it affects and that it's for. And again, that is ever evolving, as Jesse said. Don't just think, you know, you have one discussion and there you go, right? Because needs are ever changing. It's important stuff. It's important to have programs like Blue Doors Inclusion that comes out of this research that really makes it impossible for all of us to turn that, that, that blind eye to this to say, we need safe spaces. Let's make it happen. That wouldn't have happened without the support of everyone on this call. Uh, another great episode of On The Way Home. Uh, share it, subscribe, and tune in next week. See you then. I'm Andrea Askowitz. And I'm Allison Langer. And we are the hosts of Writing Class Radio, a podcast, but we are so much more. We have writing classes. So if you are looking for live online classes where you can join a community, write to a prompt, get feedback, and get better, check out all our classes at writingclassradio.com. And listen to our podcast wherever you get your podcasts and at writingclassradio.com. 
produced by Cryer Media and distributed by the Sound Off Media Company. 